Hey everybody, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Airport Wild podcast. I'm your host, Brett Jacobson, and uh, this is the first episode of Season 2. We are sitting down with um, D-Tech Inc., Mike Bierman, who um, is going to talk a lot about their avian radar systems as well as their drone uh, detection. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sit back, relax, and uh, we'll catch you next time. everybody this is brett jacobson and this is another episode of the airport wild podcast presented to you by loom acres uh we've got two guests on the show today um first we've got uh, mike bierman from dtech and he's going to talk about um avian radar and then we've got cody brasuska who is the vice president of loom acres wildlife management mike how you doing today I'm great. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, absolutely excited. Cody, just got back from, what is it, Wyoming? Arizona, then Wyoming, yeah. Nice. So you're well-traveled. I'm sure you're ready for this. Oh, yeah. Great. So, Mike, let's start with you. Uh, Just give us a brief introduction of who you are, kind of where you're from, college, all that other good stuff, all right? Oh, yeah? Dive straight into all that. Um, No worries. Uh, So... Obviously, um, my name's Mike Bierman. I, uh, my background, I was born and raised in Mammoth Lakes, California. It's in the Sierras. It's a big ski area town. So I spent uh, most of my younger life snowboarding and skiing the whole time. Uh, I went to college in Denver, Colorado to a small school called Regis University. I have a degree in environmental studies. And um, yeah, that's the quick rundown i don't know how deep you want to get into to to my 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 child years or anything like that but um, we could we could skip over this isn't a therapy session okay good good um so yeah and then kind of how i to the whole bird abatement industry is i started doing falconry when i was 14 years old and just did falconry all through high school and then even when i went to college my my school was super small and they let me bring a falcon with me to school. So they had a big property in the background and I built a muse, which is a, a, a housing for, for falcons. And then did falconry a fair amount through college. And then when I graduated, I was just looking for a job. Um, I, I was doing some telecom work and different things like that. And then, uh, just saw an ad for a, a falconry, a professional falconry position with uh, the Air Force. And uh, so I just kind of called the guy up. He was this, uh, this crazy British guy and gave me the like, you know, hey, uh, don't call us, we'll call you. And I just like didn't even think anything of it. And like four months later, he called me up and said, hey, we got a position. And so I started flying falcons at Travis Air Force Base and I was out there for eight years and um, ended up running the wildlife control program out there. So, and we did everything. I mean, we did, the primary thing was flying falcons. I think at the max, we had like 14 or 15 falcons. Um, so we flew falcons. We did depredation, pyrotechnics, all, you know, effigies, all those different things. So, and I did that for eight years. And then um, in the midst of all that, uh, the company that I worked for, Detect, came and did a demo. And I just ended up doing a bunch of briefings with them in the room with the Air Force and stuff like that. And they're like, hey, you know, we really want someone that kind of knows the military background and stuff like that. And would you be interested? In, and then I, that was sort of a stepping stone. And then I started working for Detect um, in 2008. And then... I've been working for Detect ever since. So, and I've just, I've always been 
like I'm a program manager for our ABAR product, which is aircraft bird strike avoidance radar. And so I oversee all, um, all those systems. So it's, you know, primarily just airports. Uh, we do some landfills, we'll install radars in landfills, but it's always in conjunction with the airport, you know, to, to provide the airport additional information. So yeah, and it's been it's been really cool. But since 2008, I've, I've always worked from home because everything I do is pretty remote. I can log in and work on, on most of my systems remotely. But if I have to do work, I got to jump on a plane. So there's no specific base. Um, and then just side note, and then um, I actually moved to Italy for five years because my wife works for the Air Force. And so then I got to work on a lot of our overseas projects. I still like touched them a little bit when I was stateside, but I primarily did all the overseas stuff. And we have just a ton more commercial airports over there. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Uh, so, so you were the king of show and tell in college with your, with your Falcon on campus, right? Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, so just tell me a little bit about like who is DTEC, where are you guys located, what do you guys do? And um, I know um, from our conversations previously, as well as, you know, you know, what's on the website, you guys have a pretty good core group of, of products. So just, uh, so give me your elevator speech and take it from there. Sure. All right. Uh, so DTEC, we're essentially a remote sensing company. We build all sorts of sensors for detecting anything from birds to aircraft to drones. Um, so we have lots of different applications besides just the radar, but that's primarily our main main sensor. But we also do lots of drone. We, we do RF detectors. We do different camera systems, things like that. Um, but DTECT was started in um, 2003, was branched off from another company, uh, a handful of guys that were part of that company kind of went on and, and started building the, the new company that was DTECT. And primarily one of the first projects was with the military was um, Dare County Bombing Range was one of the first installations that they did a, a bird radar system. And it's just grown from there. So we have offices. Our, our primary office is in Panama City, Florida. That's where we do most of the manufacturing, build all the systems. But um, we also have uh, offices in Canada. We have an office over in um, just outside of London in a town called Horsham. Um, so, and then we have satellite people all over the world, just like myself. So we have project managers everywhere, um, all over the States and then over in Europe. So uh, yeah, what's, um, so just to touch on something that you said, uh, like, obviously you guys are, you, you're worldwide, right? What's uh, kind of the breakdown or the ratio of, you know, uh, how many commercial or military, you know, accounts that you have here in the States, you know, compared to, to overseas? Right. So most of the bird radar systems stateside are uh, military. And I mean, we can kind of dive into the, the reason for that. And so a lot of our commercial systems are, are overseas. And just, just a quick rundown on that is um you know in in the states everything is really regulated by the faa so you, you know you, they don't have a lot of play with what they can do is like in the tower the tower operators you know have licenses through the faa and they you know have requirements and there's only a certain amount of equipment that can be in the tower that they can look at so it's it's pretty restrictive on you know how much information you can provide, especially to the tower. And, and I think that was, that's kind of one of the, when this product came out, a lot of people are like, oh, well, it needs to be in the tower. But, you know, we found a lot of new ways to utilize the information and it doesn't have to be in the tower. You can disseminate information all sorts of ways on an airport. But, um, but so I think that's why it's been a, a little bit harder to move forward in the commercial market here. I know that the FAA is pushing to 
do some new regulation to try and promote more bird radar systems. Um, the technology has come a long way and we can get into that in a sec. But so with that being said, the on the military side of things, um, because they control their aircraft, they don't have to follow an exact schedule. You know, commercial airports, if they're not slamming planes out at a certain time, they're losing money. And so with the military, it's like, they can take some guidance um, and and change some things, you know, in their day-to-day -day activity. And, and so they've been a lot more open to, you know, utilizing the system. And then as far as overseas, um, so I feel like they're, a lot of the commercial airports are a little bit more open to new technology. You know, they just want to improve what they're doing. And they're like, ah, this is a, a cool tool that can help us. Um, let's, let's try it. Let's, you know, let's put it in place and use it and see, see the benefits of it. And so, and they're a lot less locked down on, you know, exactly what can go in the tower and what can't go in the tower. So that's why I think, you know, the, the commercial market has been a lot more um, advantageous for us over, yeah. overseas. Yeah, it definitely sounds it. I mean, I don't know, just a side note, I was watching, um, I was watching a, a show on HBO, and they're talking about kind of some of the, the, you know, other countries outside of the United States that are, that are basically just just surpassing us with you know certain things because man we we've become a country of red tape and yeah. you know whether it's you know once you get out of the politics of it and you get down to even the local you know whether it's like you know i think the the bridge and tunnel system in new jersey it took six years just for them to do an environmental impact study and yeah. in that time like you know um uh, China built like 15 brand new cities or something like that or right. you know yeah um, so it's crazy that you know and I know Cody could probably touch up on this you know there's a lot of red tape when it comes to working with 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 airports uh, in the United States Cody do you kind of feel that some of that happens as well in the wildlife management aspect of it Oh, it's definitely everything has to be run through a filter of some sort and uh, sometimes those filters are more restrictive than others so it's definitely a hurdle that we deal with on a regular basis yeah so um so mike let's uh just something that you talked about you know the advancements in technology with um with with radar um what's kind of the history because i know when we talked initially you know you guys there, there's kind of a misconception of what you guys do in your industry right What's, uh, sure. so just walk me through kind of like the, the history of, of uh, the advancements in technology and what you deal with. Of course, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's just a, a key part about the, the whole picture. And I think that's why a lot of the technology hasn't been pushed as much um, stateside because I think a lot of people are sort of locked in. Um, I think a lot of systems were put out in the field early on and um, it, they weren't well maintained managed so and they're you know and and everybody was trying to figure it out it's like well how do we use this tool is it a good tool and so but I think a lot of people are like well this isn't helpful so just to give you an example um like the initial systems I like to say were dots on a screen so like we would give you a map view and paint a bunch of dots on the screen which were birds and so it was like hey pretty cool we can we can show you where the birds are on your your airfield and essentially people are like, oh, okay, this is great. Now we know where the birds are. You know, I guess we can fly around them or, or you know, try and hold aircraft if there's a bunch of birds or not. But what everybody discovered is there's birds everywhere always. So, so now you're painting a bunch of dots on the screen and it's just not usable information because it's like, it's just a bunch of dots. So you know, as it has evolved, it's like, okay, well, now we have this, this information, what, you know, how can we use this? And essentially, one of the primary things that DTECT has done is, is moved forward with, like, how do we make this actionable information that you can actually use that, that helps you on your airfield? And so a lot of it is, is trying to establish what that picture is, you know, when I look at the screen, is that a lot of birds? Is that a little birds? Do I need to be concerned about that? 
Um, and so, you know, essentially now when we start up a system, we, we push to kind of set up like a baseline and it's based off of just a, a ton of data analysis that we've done for years and years and years of like, you know, um, how many birds is too many birds where you're going to start having strikes because you have to manage for a, a risk that's realistic, right? So you can't manage um, for a single bird on the airfield because, you know, sure, can the aircraft hit that single bird? Yes, but how often does that happen, you know? And so early on, we did this big study with the USGS um, and one of our Air Force clients, and they did an analysis, um, and it was looking at sort of our intervals of, of bird activity. And they found, comparing their bird activity to their strike data, that they didn't start having, like, you know, you could have um, one-offs or outliers where you hit a single bird, but primarily you hit birds because there's so much saturation of the birds in the air that the probability just becomes so high. The more birds you have, the higher probability of a strike. And what they discovered was this location could push 4,000 birds through their airspace in an hour, and that was kind of normal so and that was for like a, a two nautical mile area so just just to kind of give you an idea I mean it's a that's a that's a ton of birds and and if you you know if you say that to people they're like well that's way too many birds but if that's your normal bird activity that you fly through every day that you're not taking strikes you know you got to have that baseline and so essentially they found once you started stepping over that line that's where the majority of their strikes were occurring because the saturation levels were so high and now we do it you know back then um you know the update rates and the technology you know we were giving them our interval information and now we're kind of looking at saturation levels you know within like 30 seconds um like a 30 second window so we can kind of key into that um so I, I feel like now we're, we're trying to use this technology because there are so many birds out there that the aircraft are flying through. And what you have to realize is the birds don't want to get hit, you know, any more than aircraft wants to hit the birds. So there's a lot of birds that are constantly pushing through the airspace and they're moving around, around the aircraft. Um, so that's why we really focused on trying to make this an actionable provide good information and just instead of just saying hey there's a lot of birds out there you know good luck it, it's more we're looking at data we're really focused on well when are you having strikes um, when are your key activity movements you, different things like that and so that's sort of kind of the evolution it's it's gone from just looking at dots on the screen to really analyzing um, you know, when you look at an air picture, is this um, a lot of birds or is this, you know, your normal activity that you guys fly through every day and, and primarily don't have a lot of issues. But we also focus on, um, you know, crucial phases of flight, your approach departure corridor. So if you have really big groups in those areas, um, you know, we also key in on those as well. Nice. Hey, Cody. Um, so, you know, obviously you being a certified airport wildlife biologist. And I know one of the aspects of what you do for your clients is you do on-site surveys as well as off-site surveys. When you hear those numbers that he just, you know, just, just talked about, what's your impression and how do you use some of that data uh, that maybe they could provide for you in some of your risk assessments with, uh, with your clients or potential clients? So some of the things that I see coming up was uh, if we if we have one of those areas where there's a higher concentration than, than the baseline, we would want to try to figure out why that concentration is there. With commercial aviation, it's really hard to alternate or alter uh, uh, flight paths or scheduling. So that's not really an option with commercial. You'd help us focus in on a certain area or provide mitigation during a time period or or uh, um, location on the airfield. Nice. So one thing that I want to ask, Mike, so you, you obviously, you know, you're a technology company, but you know, data, you know, data is everything for you. Um, what are you seeing as far as, 
you know, population trends with birds and, you know, some of the, is there an increase? Are you seeing an uptick in not only just maybe bird strikes, but bird risk? Yeah, but I just wanted to go back on touch on one thing is, and I also want to just point out, you know, that was birds for two, like every bird we saw for two nautical mile radius. So, I mean, it sounds like a lot of birds, but it's every bird that's pushing through that area. So, keep that in mind but yeah I definitely think there's a, an uptick in bird activity you know we're, we're definitely seeing um a lot of you know bird movements push but it, it's really seasonal and it, it's time of day and I think that's where kind of what Cody was hitting and that's one of like the tools that I, I I see our system being used in the commercial market and I'll give you one example so uh, one of our Air Force bases that we um, installed a system on, uh, the guy kept looking, we build what's called a track bot image and it's a snapshot of all the bird activity and it can be a 15 minute window, an hour window, we can break it down and down to a minute window and anywhere between. But essentially he kept seeing, you, it, it gives you kind of the direction of travel of those birds in that 15 minute or hour window. And he kept seeing all these birds traveling to the same location um, during different hours of the day should have been nothing out there. And so he ended up going off the airfield and going out there and he discovered that um, there was a big, huge lake that shouldn't have been there. And what happened was there was a beaver that had dammed up um, this river and just built this huge lake. And so now it was just natural habitat that, that wasn't there, but it was a huge draw for tons of the birds and it was just off to the side of the airfield. So you know, he had, he had tons of birds flying across his airfield during different times of the day, utilizing that space. And this, so, you know, that's just a way you can use this tool that keyed him in to something that he would have never, never seen or, you know, known was there because it was off the airfield. He didn't patrol that area, but it, it really highlighted um, that there was an issue there and they ended up getting rid of the beaver dam and, and turning it back into a river and then it wasn't an attractant anymore. So I think that's, you know, one of the areas where you can definitely use our system where it's not like specifically affecting, you know, daily air, but you can, you can use it to, to, to find issues and, and resolve them. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Cody, to bring you in on this, when you're doing your uh, wildlife hazard assessments, right? I know you do quite a bit of, you look at like, um, like aerial photos and, and, and whatnot. How often are those, I guess, updated where you can actually see maybe like, you know, the human thumbprint aspect of it, or even like the actual, you know, wildlife thumbprint um, where maybe habitat changes? So uh, the, the mapping that we have access to is sometimes outdated by the time we're looking at it. It really depends on the location and, uh, um, you know, how critical of an area it is. Um, so it, I can't really say for sure, but we can definitely, when, when we start a new project, we really utilize that. Um, going forward, it's more of uh, ground testing or, or ground proofing that that we that we uh, that we're going to use. So uh, when we're doing surveys on, off an airport, we're constantly looking for new potential survey points, um, dropping off old ones that we find inactive, um, because exactly what uh, Mike said about you know it you know you can have something be created and not, us not even knowing about it. So and, and sometimes we don't find that until way after the fact, and, and it's either an established. Uh, something that's man-made that's created or, or, or a natural instance, but uh, um, it's the sooner you can find out about that information, the better. Nice. So, so Mike, real quick. So um, now the company started in 2003 um, and then you came on in, in, in 2008. Uh, so what, a, obviously, you know, 2008, that's kind of going back. So you've seen kind of the industry, you know, you've seen a lot in the industry. What are some of the changes that you've seen that have kind of either been really good for you or maybe bad for, for DTAC? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is just the awareness that this system is a tool to help you do your job and it's not an end all 
be all for, you know, bird control. And I think initially, you know, a, a lot of a lot of locations, you know, we had lots of biologists that were, we had a lot of pushback because they're like, oh, this is going to take over our job. They turn this radar on, it tells them where all the birds are, and then, you know, they can magically deal with those birds and they won't need a biologist, which is so far from reality. Um, and so I think that's one thing. Initially, a lot of people were a little gun shy because, you know, they didn't want this technology to either take their position or become like this definitive thing that that dictates you know how the wildlife control program is is ran and i think that's that's a key point is you know the one of the biggest hurdles we have deploying these systems is getting people to realize this is just to help you do your job better it's a better pair of binoculars and um, and this is something that I have to go through a bunch when I start training, you know, we missed so many birds on an airfield yesterday and there was clouds of thousands of birds of broadwing hawks pushing over the top of us and we were watching them on the radar and like the biologist that's always out there he was seeing them, you know, he pull up his binoculars but I, I couldn't see them, you know, and, and just that awareness that, you know, there is a cloud of you know, a two mile long group of birds pushing through your airfield. I mean, why would you not know that's there? And that's, it's a hard thing for people to get their heads wrapped around because like you look out in the sky and you, you just don't see those birds and you're like, ah, it's a blue sky day. It's not, you know, I can see out there. I, I know that there's not, you know, 20,000 birds moving across the airfield and lots of times there are. So, um, but and just to get back to, so it's just, it's really a tool to, to help people improve their awareness and provide some, some additional information. Uh, I, I try not to push it as like, oh, you're going to put this on your airfield and that's it. It's going to solve all your problems. You know, it's, it's just like any other tool. And also it's just like under other, any other tool, depending on how um, engaged it and how proactive you are it can be super super helpful i have some locations where like they like they freak out if their radar system goes down and they're super nervous because they want that that you know that view um and then i have other locations that they're like yeah it's nice it, it gives us some information but you know it, it's not like um it's not as, as key for them. So it just, it just kind of depends on the location, the biologist, how, how engaged they are. And, and I feel like you can really get them over that hump once they start, they're able to see visually what the radar seeing. And that's the hardest part, because like I said, you can have thousands of birds out there that you're not seeing and if you go out with a pair of binoculars and the radar saying hey it's crazy out here and you're not seeing any of the birds you quickly go oh this thing doesn't work but the reality is it's super hard to see birds at you know a thousand feet two thousand feet pushing through especially if it's a cloudy day they blend in I mean everybody knows white pelicans you can see a group of a hundred of them and they all turn slightly and they disappear. So it's just, it's just a, it's one of those things. And I think as, you know, as the technology advances, I think that's going to be a huge key factor because if we can visually show people like with cameras, we're using a lot of, you know, high-end cameras to track all sorts of different things, but also birds. And I mean, if we can cue you with a camera and show you those groups pushing through, it just, for some reason, it just means more if you can, if you can visually see it as opposed to, you know, when you're just looking at a screen, it doesn't, it doesn't hit you as hard. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so Cody, um, now hearing, hearing what Mike just said about, you know, it's not an end all be all for, for airport wildlife biologists. Um, now Lou Makers established in 2008, um, have you seen more airports or have you been around uh, any airports that are using this technology where it's either it's helped you with some aspect of, um, of what you do? So it's, 
back to the uh, um, what we were talking about earlier, it's it's limited in the U.S. There are some Air Force that are using it, and uh, um, it's a definite benefit to them. And uh, um, but uh, um, again, there's a lot of there's there's some hurdles that uh, we need to get over. And and uh, but I see it as as a benefit to any Air Force to be using a, a tool like this um, because. You know, we do, we do bird surveys, um, but it's just a snapshot. Uh, the radar is out there constantly observing. So, so uh, um, we might go on an airport and do a survey and be there for let's just say an hour. Um, and if we if we time that wrong, or 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 uh, um, you know the birds aren't moving that particular day, um, we're not going to see that. Um, and then that's not even considering uh, nighttime activity. So. During migration and well year round, there's a potential for birds being active at night, and uh, we're obviously not going to see that. Um, and, and where the radar systems would be picking that up, so it, it's a tremendous benefit to any facility. Um, you know, it's just a matter of uh, um, having everyone understand what what benefit it is. Nice. So yeah. So Mike, uh, build off that. I mean, kind of give us the the rundown here. Why should every every airport have this installed? Um, you know, not to put your sales pitch hat on, but, <laughs> but here my you go. Favorite, my sales pitch hat. We, te we teed this one up for you pretty good. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly what he's, um, what Cody was saying. It's, you know, you can't watch the airfield 24 seven, like a radar system is. So not only is it keying you in during the day, but also at night. And, you know, we find that there's really key movement time throughout the day and, and they shift some um, during different seasons, but you know, during peak migration, you'll see a huge burst of activity at dawn and dusk, you know, all the birds leaving the roost wherever they're at in the morning, going out to feed for the day and coming back. And I feel like, you know, if you can push your, your, aircraft movements slightly to one side or the other of that huge movement, you're going to decrease your bird strikes a bunch because that's when all the birds are there, you know, and then you'll get times during the middle of the day. I mean, there are exceptions. Sometimes you'll have local groups that push through at different times, but, you know, a lot of the, the data that we've looked at and, and airports we've analyzed, you know, there's these really key movement times and sometimes they're only 30 minutes or an hour. Um, and so just like for a, a military installation, lots of times they'll be like, and especially if that movement pushes straight across their airfield, you know, sometimes it's across a departure end or approach end, but that's what the radar is getting you. It's showing you where that movement is and when it's happening. And I think for a commercial airfield, just having that awareness, just knowing, Hey, you know, this is high activity time. We just need to be more vigilant, you know, whether that's, uh, having more biologists out, you know, having eyes on site. And I, and, you know, a lot of times commercial airfields, they're like, ah, oh, we're not going to stop aircraft. But, you know, I was in a commercial tower at one point and it was a location that has just insane amount of birds and they were about to launch an aircraft. And I was just, I, I, I was able to point out this huge group of birds that was just about to push across the departure end. And so they paused the aircraft, which, they very rarely ever do. But when they saw it with their eyes, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about, um, it, it caused them to, uh, to react. And so I, I think the, the key thing is awareness, being able to use the system to see um, the local movements when they're happening, um, you know, when habitat is, is changing. And I also kind of like to relate it to you know, the, the deer sign on the side of the road, even though that's not, doesn't mean you're, it's gonna prevent you from hitting any deer there, but just that little bit of awareness. And, and a lot of times you don't even notice that you're doing this, but you become a little more vigilant, especially if it's a place you've seen deer, maybe you slow down a little bit, maybe you're a little more cautious. And I think some of those reaction times, you know, can really affect how a pilot reacts if he does take a big bird strike, because if he's going to launch and they go, you know, let's say they have a bird radar system and they're utilizing it and they've designed a con ops that, you know, we're going to at least alert the pilot that, hey, it's high activity time. It may be the difference between him 
taking a bird strike and just already thinking about it so he can respond as opposed to just flying blindly. So I think that, you know, just the real, the awareness is key. Nice. Um, yeah, go ahead, Cody. Can I raise my hand? <laughs> so if I could just interject there too, uh, you know, I, I said that with the commercial traffic, it's, it's hard for them to reschedule stuff. And, but there isn't anything that says they can't use a different runway or delay things by a few minutes. Um, so there is some flexibility in there in, in the commercial market. Um, so, you know, depending on the airport, obviously, you know, they may or may not have flexibility in what, what departures or arrivals they're using, but, but some airports, they, they have that flexibility and, and, uh, um, you know, there could be an application there as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, so all very, very good points. Um, so just to kind of switch gears here. Hey, so Cody, um, I know you know, you, you travel the country. I, we, we talked briefly that you just got back from, you know, Phoenix and then Wyoming, and you do quite a bit of um, the FAA training uh, for airports. Um, and do you, I know, um, I know you guys have revamped some of the, the training modules and some of the training uh, curriculum that you're using. And, and one of those is actual, like some of the, the drone detection. Um, you know, the FAA now has been, is pushing, you know, this drone detection. Um, what are you seeing as far as a trend uh, in airports when it comes to uh, working with, uh, you know, drone management impl implementation? So some of them are really into it and some of them not so much. Um, and uh, um, so I guess it varies on the, on the airfield. Um, the busier the airfield, the more of a priority it is. So um, if you have planes coming in back to back and something, you know, there's a, a UFO or a, unidentified object out there, um, you know, it's going to create a headache. And then, uh, um, but if it's a smaller airport, it's less of a priority, obviously. But uh, um, I believe uh, DTEC has some solutions for, for drone. I, I'm not sure where it is right now, but, but I believe there are um, some uh, um, products out there that can help um, identify drones in, a, in an area and, and monitor their movements. Um, but that's my limited information or knowledge about, about, about drone mitigation. Yeah, so you guys, you, uh, so DTEC does offer a, uh, a solution for uh, drone detection. Uh, if you can, uh, Mike, just uh, talk a little bit about that as well. Sure, for sure. Yeah, so um, we have a a drone watcher product line and essentially um, we have all different sensors for drone detection. Um, kind of the best solution for drones is, is multifaceted. So um, not only do we use the radar system um, for drone detection, just picking up the drones via the radar, but we also do RF detectors and camera systems. So, and those are kind of the, the three primary ones. And we're feeling, Fielding some of those systems with the military, we do. We've been doing tons of different um, demos and testing uh, for years and years for for drone detection. So it's definitely it's it's a big concern. You know, we're seeing obviously drone market is kind of blown up. There's there's lots of drones out there. They're super hard to see, um, and and there's been a, a lot of cases where. Um, Pilots are, are seeing drones as they're coming into land. Uh, sometimes I've had some locations where they've flown a drone in between two aircraft that were kind of flying in at different formations and stuff like that. So it, it's a it's a huge concern. Um, obviously, they're not as frangible as a bird. You know, a bird strike is can be deadly, but you know, a big chunk of metal in the air is is even worse. So um, it's becoming more and more of an issue and, and a lot of places are, are looking into it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, part of my job, you know, I, I kind of monitor some of these. I, I heard you're big, you're big in the drone, <laughs> drone industry. Yeah. You have, yeah. A, you have a good following. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've got a following as much as I've got a hater group. Uh, yeah. It, 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 the drone community is very, very fascinating because holy crap they are passionate and they feel you know like uh, i told this joke the other day 
you know, that, uh, you know, <laughs> drone, drone pilots are the CrossFitters of the aviation world. And <laughs> because they're not really pilots, just kind of like CrossFitters aren't really athletes, right? You know, they, oh, look, wow. they, they look the part, but throw them a ball and watch them try and catch it. And it's like rock hands. You um, just got a whole new hater group. Yeah, I did. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I've got thick skin. I can take it. So, but, uh, but yeah, some of these forums and some of these chat groups and these Facebook groups that I've been on, um, <laughs> probably one of the reasons why it's such a growing problem is because they just refuse to change and they're stubborn and they're kind of arrogant and they kind of feel like they can do whatever the hell they want. And uh, I was actually reading an article about uh, some of these celebrities and some of these big wedding venues where they're actually, they're implementing, you know, drone detection systems because you have companies like TMZ, you know, every news, you know, you know, news uh, outlet that are basically having an entire team dedicated to these drone pilots, if you want to call them, or drone operators, uh, yeah. to try and invade on people's privacies. Yeah, and I mean, we've been approached by, you know, the, the movie industry for, for drone detection, because that's also a big issue. They don't want, you know, you're, you're filming Game of Thrones or whatever, and everybody mm -hmm. wants to fly their drones over and see what's happening, and they, you know, they don't want all that information getting out. So um, it's definitely, yeah. That's yeah, God, awesome. God forbid we know what's going on with uh, Kim and Kanye's divorce, but you know, right. yeah, or uh, right. or Meghan Markle and her baby watch. So, um, but yeah, so real quick, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned this as well, and, and I know Cody deals with this a lot, but uh, so COVID nineteen, it 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 happened, uh, and it kind of changed the way that we do business. Um, you know, it changed travel, it changed conferences. Um, Tony, I know uh, conferences are, are, are a huge uh, part of your business. Um, what are you seeing right now? I know obviously everything was shut down. What are you seeing as far as right now with conferences coming coming up where maybe you're a, prefer or a, a presenter or, you know, you got a booth there? Well, we're starting to see some uh, more conferences slowly starting to come back to life. Um, I, we're doing some uh, remote stuff uh, with, with attending those conferences, but the whole point of a conference is to have face-to-face -face contact. And, and uh, um, it's, it's, you know, as neat as uh, Zoom and, and uh, WebEx are, you still, you still, uh, um, you're still missing some of that. So um, hopefully that'll get back to, back to normal and we can start seeing people in the industry a little bit more. Yeah, I can't wait. I, me personally, I can't wait to to not wear sweatpants a lot. Um, but Mike, how about I'm you, man? Tell me for that. Yeah, I well, mean, you know. <laughs> we've been doing some virtual conferences, and they're awesome. You know, it's just mm -hmm. streamlined. I'm totally joking. They've all been awful. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, it's funny because I think that – you know, we've had like virtual booths and you know, I, I think the technology is trying to catch up, you know, sure we have Zoom and stuff like that, but a lot of times you have this virtual booth and people are trying to figure out uh, how do I get in there? Who am I talking to? Like, how's this work? And it's this kind of craziness. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be nice to get back to conferences. Um, yeah, get back to handing out swag bags. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing I was going to say. I, me personally, I feel like it, it is just like I'm not a salesman. I don't like to do the, the hard sales pitch. I mean, I'm a talker, but um, so conferences, I just uh, it's they're not my favorite, but <laughs> I think they serve a purpose. I mean, you, you know, it's good to get out in front of people and and you know, and some people legitimately, they, they want to know about the technology and where, when you're hands-on, you know, you have a screen there, you can show people how the system works. It's helpful. But I also hate, like, I feel like sometimes you, you're just like twisting people's arm to come like step in your booth. And it's just like, yeah. you know what, if you want my technology, awesome. I'll talk to you about it all day long. But yeah. I, it's just like, I, I just, I hate feeling like 
Oh, like the person just like stepped in for a pin yeah. and then he's like, oh, I got to listen to this guy spiel, right? Yeah. <laughs> Conferences are like the, they're like the, uh, the epitome of like that awkward first date, you know, like yeah. it's a blind date, you know, where like you kind of feel like that weird guy handing out candy, <laughs> to, you know, and it's like, mm, are you, are you interested? Are you not interested? And then, yeah, like you said, you know, you got to hear this awkward spiel and they're, just looking around right and, and like, how can i get yeah how can i get out of here hey just a sec i got a phone yeah. call no for god's sakes just give me the koozie and i'm out of here <laughs> right. right yeah but uh it's definitely you know that too and not to make a joke out of it but like some of these virtual you know virtual conferences and whatever there's always that that one person that's like the hype like, oh my God, this, this, this is going to be a different virtual conference and everything. Like, oh, we're so excited and, and this is going to be great. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're just still sitting in your living room or your office in front of a freaking computer screen. And now it's even more awkward because if your internet connection sucks or, you know, that person's, you know, weird, let's put it that way. It's that awkward conversation. Um, yeah. Now, you guys actually, to kind of hit on, and that's why I asked this, you guys have a virtual event coming up, right? You guys have a, a seminar uh, at the end of, uh, end of April or a webinar? Yeah, I, we do all, we do tons of different trainings and different seminars. So, they, you know, they pop up. One of our kind of like big industry right now is um, our lighting system technology ADLS and so you know we we use our radar systems to track all sorts of aircraft flying into kind of airspace where there's lots of and so we can turn on and off the lights so we do a lot of like virtual training and and those I, I don't know I feel like the the training aspect I mean it's kind of like a conference but you know for a training I think the the virtual training can be pretty good because, you know, lots of times people just can't get there. You know, there's lots of people, they want to participate in, in different meetings and different things, but it's like, I can't fly to Panama city for a week. And so. I would um, love to go to I, Panama city right now. Let's just, let's just put it out there. So. <laughs> all right. Um, so, uh, but I, so we do do some virtual stuff and we participate in some virtual conferences, but you know, just my very, very limited experience with it. it you know, it, it's everybody's still sort of trying to figure it out. And I get there, but I just don't. It's just not. Yeah. It's not a good. But Cody, so on your side of things, though, um, the virtual trainings have actually started working out for you, correct? Well, I think I think there's a difference between a virtual training or a virtual seminar versus like one of the conferences that we might go to. Um, you know, I think a face-to-face -face training is always better. Um, but when things like COVID hit or there's travel restrictions, um, having the opportunity to to at least attend virtually, um, I think there's a great benefit to that. Um, it's a cost savings in a lot of in a lot of ways. It's a time savings. Um, you know, you're missing some face-to-face -face contact, but, but the information's getting there. And if it's a good presenter, um, and it's good information, it, it's, a, it's worthwhile. Um, so we've, we've attended, our staff has attended uh, conferences, um, or trainings that we normally wouldn't have sent them to this past year because it, it was virtual this year. So, um, it, it saves on, saves on the budget in that area. So, um, is it good of is it as good as actually being there and doing something hands on? No, but uh, um, you know it, it could, the the savings and the the um, time um, savings could um, outweigh that. So nice. So and, we're, and we've been offering our go ahead, we've been sorry. offering our remote trainings te temporarily. Um, the FAA has allowed the uh, um, airport wildlife training, but uh, um, we hope eventually to get back to the in-person ones, and we're already starting to schedule some of them now. Nice. So, yeah, we'll, uh, so we'll, last question for both of you, right? So, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit, right? Um, last question. I'm just getting warmed up, man. You're getting warmed up? All right. We'll, we'll I have some questions, too, that I've been Yeah, I mean, we got, I thought this was going to be a three-hour podcast. 
right? <laughs> yeah, my bladder won't. Allow, my bladder won't allow a three-hour podcast, but you know, whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So here we go, right? So, obviously, your guys' industry, you know, there are some correlation um, w- with both, especially you know, with the obvious, you know, being airports, right? But what are some of the biggest misconceptions? when it comes to avian radar or drone detection that you guys like, what are some of the most like when you're in like a meeting and whatever, like some of those objections that you hear that are just, you know, you just kind of shake your head, like just, just pump the brakes, man. Do you want me to go first, Cody? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, all right. I'll shoot. Um, so I mean, I feel like one of the big misconceptions is uh, we're going to show you where all the birds are so you can avoid them. You know, like that's not what this system does, right? Um, We're going to give you actionable information and try and help you avoid bird strikes because the saturation of birds is so high. So, you know, we didn't really get into, you know, how our displays work and stuff like that, but essentially we provide like a, a risk analysis and there's a, a risk graph on our system and it, it shows you, it, it has like trend data, like are you trending up? And then it also compares to like the previous day as well as what we've determined your high risk activity is. So we'll show you once you start reaching that level that it doesn't mean you're gonna have a strike, but the probability is a lot higher because the majority of your strikes have happened once you've hit this saturation. So, um, but to go back to your question, kind of the big misconceptions is like, uh, this is just gonna tell us where all the birds are so we can avoid them and, and that's not it. And, and also that, um, that this is a tool that is gonna answer all your questions. No, it's, it's a tool in the toolbox. It's just, it's there to help you do a better job, give you more awareness, um, it, you know, Im- improve your essay on, on what's happening on your airfield so you can manage it better. Um, I think uh, where it kind of gets bogged down is a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, if I don't listen to the radar and we have a bird strike, then you know, I'm going to be held accountable. And I think we really need to get away from the blame culture. You know, it's just like, well, you have a pair of binoculars. You weren't out there. You didn't see the bird that was at your approach end. You know, are you not going to use your binoculars anymore? You know, it's just, we have to look, look at it more of something to help you do your job and not get you in trouble because there was a bird strike. Right. I mean, it, I mean, I think any biologist that they want, they want the information, they want more, more data and, and especially if it can help them do their job. I mean, you know, if it shows that you have these really high activities during certain times and not the other, I mean, you're going to be more vigilant and and utilize your time better. And, you know, maybe, maybe you have them pushing through on one side of the airfield every morning and you know, for the last three months, you've been sitting on the opposite side, you know, maybe start sitting on the other side, you know, all those things. It's just, so I, I, I think that's one of the, the big things is, is just people have, have not been looking at the tool and, and how they can really utilize it to the best of its ability instead of it, you know, being sort of a end all be all like this, turn it on and everything yeah. good. Nice. How about you, Cody? What's uh, what's one of the biggest misconceptions uh, that you that you see in, in in your industry? So I I think the 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 real time aspect of it. I'm I'm not sure, and and maybe that's the lack of my knowledge of it as well. Um, you know, some people think that it might be something. You know, they'll they'll be able to go out and address an individual bird and. And I don't picture it as being that type of a tool, but more of a, of a research and, and more of a, a awareness um, so you can take, take action after the fact. But, uh, you know, you know is, is a biologist going to go out and chase an individual bird off the, off the runway? Um, I don't see that as being the, the use of it, but more as understanding the uh, problem as a whole, um, understanding what's going on in the airfield when you're not there, or outside of your compa- capacity to ob- observe. Um, so, so 
I don't know the exact range of an individual radar system, but it can see a lot farther, um, 24 hours a day. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that's where, where I see it being the biggest benefit. A lot of times on an airport, we're doing everything we can on the airfield. Um, most airports have a pretty robust program as far as mitigating on-site hazards, but once we get off the airport or up higher um, where we can't necessarily observe, that's where, where I see it coming into play more often. Um, you know, not to, not to say it's not going to be beneficial to know about an individual flock flying over your airport, but, but uh, the bigger picture I see is the greater value of it. And hopefully I'm on the right track in that understanding. Um, but uh, um, some people um, don't, don't realize that. And you know, so they might think, oh, what good is it? I can't, I don't even have the staff to go out and chase that bird. But, but uh, it's not about in my mind, it's not about that individual bird. It's about the project or the, the situation as a whole. Right. And I would just add, like, I think it does. I mean, there is definitely a, a real-time aspect, and it can key you in to, like, you know, big movements around your airfield during mm -hmm. different times. And just, like, for ex an example, you know, we, we all our biologists, they get daily, weekly, and monthly reports, and, and one aspect of it is, you know, you look at your report and you go, hey, you know what, every day at noon for the last two days, we've had this really high strike. And actually, a, a location we had, they were having a big movement um, at night, and it was just a huge amount of activity. And they saw it one night, and he's like, ah, that's, that's crazy. So and then they saw it on the report the next night. And the third night, they went out, and they're flying at night. This is a a military base and it was thousands of um of geese pushing through the area and they ended up not landing all the aircraft that night you know maybe they should have been proactive gone out on the second night but you know you still kind of got to get a an idea of what's going on but it can definitely you know the reports can key you in so you can go look physically at that activity the next day and spot it and just make people more aware so you know it has just like you were saying it's a good application the reports can give you some data but they can also lead you to the real-time activity that you want to focus in and in on as well yeah hey um so mike real quick um which so you talk a lot about you know military use and and you know the majority of your you know your United States clients are military, right? So is there, how does that process work? I mean, do they get government funding, right? But isn't there, is there a solution for them outside of DTAC that, you know, maybe it's kind of like a backdoor deal or something like that, that you kind of might have to deal with or work around? Uh, I'm not sure I'm following your question, just in, in like how they, how they procure systems, how the funding works. Yeah, how does the funding work when it comes to like when you're working on military stuff? It it all depends. A lot of places it's it's funded locally. Like what are out for um, are they are there is there I, I think my internet's cutting out. You're good. We can hear you. Um so so what options and I, I my internet was cut, cutting out so I'm sorry about if I'm repeating anything. Um, what options might, are, are there any federal funding that an airport can look into to possibly help with uh, acquiring one of these systems or uh, what, what type of structures are out there for that, if any? Yeah, so for the military, um, you know, a lot of it is, is funded locally by that base. There are, there have been some different programs where uh, different larger groups like you know, the Air Force has a bash team um, at the Air Force Safety Center, and that kind of kicked off some of the initial deployments of bird radars um, because they kind of got some funding to, to test this new technology. This is way back in the day. But so some different entities within the military or OD, they might go, you know what, we want to fund, you know, 20 radars and field them at these different locations and we want them to do both birds and drones or you know whatever so that's you know some of the um the funding options within the military 
I know, and I don't know where it's at now, um, but I feel like there there was for a while a, a funding avenue within the commercial air, airports that they could get some different funding for technology that could be used towards um, bird radar systems. And I think some of the airports looked into that. Um, and I don't, I, I feel like, kind of like we were talking about, it, it kind of, the process kind of got slowed down because they're like, oh, well, you know, we need to get this information to the pilots if there's a bunch of birds out there. Well, how do we get the information to the pilots? Well, the tower needs to have that information. Oh, well, you can't put it in the tower. So then everybody's like, oh, okay, we can get funding for a bird radar, but we can't put this information in our tower or we can't get it out. So I think that kind of slowed the process down. Whereas as we've been talking about this whole conversation, it doesn't just have to be utilized in the tower. And also, you know, a wildlife control person can give bird watch condition information to the tower that they can relay it. So even though they can't look at a screen all the time, you could utilize other assets that you have on your commercial airfield to, to get that information to, to the people that need to know it. Um, so it was kind of off on a tangent as most of my answers are. Tangent, but, um, tangents are welcomed. <laughs> But yeah, so and and I, I think I think there are still some funding options, but I just feel like a lot of the commercial. I mean, I've had lots of meetings with different um, commercial airports as well as like you know different groups from from airliners and Southwest United. Like lot sometimes you get you know, execs from those groups reaching out because they want to save money, right? I mean, bird strikes cost them a, a, a fair amount of money throughout the year. And it's like, well, you know, well, maybe we'll push to get systems put in at our hubs if it's going to help us. But then it's like, oh, well, how do we get this information out? And uh, you can't put it in the tower and, and slowly they kind of go down the road. Well, I don't know if it's, it's a useful tool, which, I, you know, there's, there's many ways to, to get the information and utilize the system. So, perfect. All right. We'll end. We'll end on some uh, some some personal stuff here. So, some stand up. Are you gonna do some stand up for us or? Yeah. No. <laughs> so you're in Texas, and yes. you've got snowboards behind you. What is going on there, man? I know you grew well, up. It's, yeah. It's disappointing, uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a. Uh, I'm a, a, a kid of the mountains. Like I, you know, I, you know, I went to school in Colorado. We just lived at the base of the Dolomites in Italy. There was probably like 200 ski areas within like an hour or two of me. Um, there is, there is not a lot of snowboarding as, as you're, you're pointing out in Texas, but um, I, I travel back, back to my home a yeah. lot to go ride and uh so every time when you like turn over and you see those boards like do you just get like that slow tear roll that tear. Goes down? <laughs> well and one of the main reasons uh, is um we may have to edit this out but like my <laughs> my my wife um she works for for the military for the air force and so um because my job's so flexible i can kind of live anywhere it, it doesn't you know it doesn't it matters a little bit, but I can kind of move around, whereas she kind of needs to go where her specific positions are. Um, and like this was kind of like the key spot for her. It's like it's the mothership, if you will, of her career field. So we had, we were coming to Texas, and um, I mean, I grew up in California, so you know, Texas isn't fully my speed, but I, I have enjoyed living in San Antonio, uh, although it's very hot during the summer. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I've been to San Antonio a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big fan of San Antonio. Um, <laughs> I love Texas. You know, big steaks, <laughs> lots of ribs. That's right up my yeah. alley. But, uh, you know, everybody talks about San Antonio and this, the damn river walk. And it's pretty much just like a, a dirty-ass stream 
with like garbage floating down it and the sidewalks suck like it's like oh this is what like, like you watch march madness for example like obviously this year in indianapolis but when they're in san antonio and it was just like the same shot of this one particular spot of this this river walk but so. i was gonna say you have the alamo there that's cool <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Dr- the drone groups uh crossfit and people from san antonio i mean they're, they're coming after you man <sighs> Whatever they might. So yeah, I know <laughs> when we talked earlier too, when we talked uh, the other day, you talked about how your friends that are uh, that are like professional snowboarders, and then you know you work for D Tech. You ever feel just kind of like out of place when you go back and hang out with those guys? <laughs> I definitely feel pretty cool, you know, because you know, bird radar it's it's huge. You know, people love to talk about it. It's uh, you know. No, yeah, for sure. It's, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, I mean, we, like growing up in the mountains, you know, everybody kind of went down that, that road. A lot of people work in the, the industry for, you know, action sports and stuff like that. And, you know, they may fly to, you know, Bali to go surfing or go, you know, they go crazy places to ride powder, but, you know, I get to go to cool places like Turkmenistan and install a, a radar system. So yeah, you also get to attend virtual conferences, right? <laughs> and have people like me and Cody <laughs> come to your virtual booth to get your yeah. virtual swag bag. So it's it's very hip. I mean, it's uh, you know, I definitely got into this, you know, for for the notoriety and you know, biologists. <laughs> it's very popular. Yeah. Cody, why did you get into airport wildlife biology? So I could tell interesting stories. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I'm such a storyteller. Um, no, no, I, I got into it because I love being outdoors. Um, and uh, and uh, oftentimes, uh, um, you know, animals are a lot easier to manage than people. So, you know, it's a... It's a have more in common i guess so <laughs> nice nice well, <laughs> well on that note uh that concludes our episode which by the way i didn't say this so this was actually the first episode of season two we wrapped oh. up yeah so congratulations to both i'm being the uh yeah the uh <laughs> did we get like a placard or something something cool yeah, I'm going to go to Goodwill and get an old bowling trophy, and I'll send it to you, all right? <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, though, that was a great episode. Uh, both of you guys, very knowledgeable, and, um, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, for our listeners out there, um, make sure that you leave a review. Uh, and then also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Mike real quick. Um, if somebody is just wanting to get a hold of you, what's the best way that they can reach out and get a hold of you or DTAC? Yeah, just primarily on the website. And you can, there's, you know, all our contact info is there. Perfect. Cody, same thing. What's the, what's the best way somebody could reach out and get a hold of you? Website as well? Hey, Mike, Mike, what's your, uh, what's the uh, DTAC's uh, web address? It's just DTEC, D-E-T-E-C-T dash inc.com all right excellent thanks and uh if you need to get a hold of me our website's airportwildlife.com and my email address is uh cody at lumakers.com so any questions that come in love to have them perfect well thanks again guys that that wraps it up we really appreciate you coming on the show and we'll talk soon thank you appreciate it